0: Father, thank you for these children of yours who have come together to worship you. And we've been singing your praises. We've been confessing our sin. We've been remembering that Jesus is our hope. He is our anchor in the storm. And God, would you continue to teach us this morning as we reflect together on the life of Joseph. Uh, Be our teacher, our encourager. Inspire us, Lord, where you can. Convict us where we need to be convicted and give us hope and encouragement in Jesus. We pray and ask in his name. Amen. Well, there's a, a Christian pastor and an author that wrote these words a long, long, long time ago. They're still, okay, you, want me, you don't want me to have that there. I got it. Thank you. <laughs> he wrote these words a long, long, long time ago. Um, and these are his words. He says, a real Christian is an odd number. He feels supreme love For one whom he has never seen. Talks familiarly every day to someone he cannot see. He expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another. Empties himself in order to be full. Admits he is wrong so that he can be declared right. Goes down in order to go up. Is strongest when he is weakest. He dies so he can live. Forsakes in order to have gives away so he can keep a real Christian is indeed an odd number you know we believe um, uh, that in following Jesus there are lives that we are called to live that are somewhat paradoxical Uh, paradox is something that is seemingly contradictory doesn't seem to make common sense and yet, it's likely to be true. Um, Jesus said many things that at first, when he said them, his listeners thought, well, that's quite a paradox. You know, they, they seemed paradoxical. For example, he said, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Wow. Think about that one. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Well, is it? Is that true? Jesus said, but many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. You have to think about that. He said, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. You can even go so far, I think, as to say that Jesus' life and ministry itself was paradoxical. Jesus is, of course, God on the one hand. We know that to be true. But he is also God who became man. That in itself is paradoxical. The Apostle Paul said this in writing to uh, a church. He said, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Well, how if you're God, can you not use that to your own advantage? Hmm. He says, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Why would God make himself a servant? After all, he's God. Who has ever heard of such a thing? Paul says, being made in human likeness, referring to Jesus and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Why would God do that? A God would never do such a thing. What kind of God is this? Therefore, we are told God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. You could say, I think rightly so, Jesus is an odd number, exalted because of his humiliation. And as we'll see too, A Jesus follower is a bit of an odd number because of who we follow. We look at Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. We study the teachings of Jesus and we conclude, you know what? That makes sense to me. I'm going with that. I'm going to follow this guy, this God who is a man. And our culture says to us, well, you're nuts. You're crazy. You're stupid for doing that. And we say, well, not really. I'm going to choose to live by faith and Not by sight. So this morning, I want to explore a Christian paradox with you, one that Joseph knew well and fully embraced, Uh, one that made all the difference in the world for Joseph. It's articulated uh, by the Apostle Peter quite clearly and, and, um, and beautifully in 1 Peter 5. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, what a beautiful description, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Peter's actually just elaborating on the statement that Jesus made uh, that those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Genesis chapter 41. We're going to look at an amazing example of how humility led to exaltation in the life of Joseph. You have to remember, let's go back and just recount a few things we said last week. In fact, if you didn't hear that message, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. Uh, it's a good message, it's a challenging message, and it's, it's really the introduction to the life of Joseph. Uh, when Joseph was just 17 years old, you recall, he was sold into slavery by his brothers who were told over and over and over five times they hated him. And of course, it, he goes down to Egypt, he's sold into slavery to the household of Potiphar. Uh, Potiphar promotes Joseph again and again and again until he's eventually put in charge of the entire estate. And then one day Joseph is unjustly accused and convicted and sentenced um, for rape. He's put in prison. Uh, He's promoted there by the chief jailer to be in charge of the entire prison. And there he meets the Pharaoh's cupbearer, you recall, and he interprets a dream for him. And he pleads with this man after he interprets the dream, please get me out of here. When you get before Pharaoh, remember me. I'm here unjustly and I I want to get out of prison. So don't forget me, please, he says. But tragically, if you were here or if you've read the story, the cupbearer forgets all about him. And Joseph spends two more years in jail in prison. Two more years. And what I just summarized for you was about 13 years of Joseph's life. He's now about 30 years old. So for 13 years, Joseph has been dealing with one pretty significant disappointment after another. And yet the single most distinctive thing about Joseph throughout this entire period is the manner in which he has humbled himself consistently before God, trusted God to guide his life, and served God in the midst of his difficult, unwanted, unpleasant circumstances. And so now we come to Genesis 41. Now, I'm going to do something, again, never supposed to do, but I'm going to read to you. I'm going to read uh, almost the whole chapter of chapter 41. Excited. This is the word of God. So if you pay attention to any part of this message, you ought to pay attention to this part of the message, okay? This is what we read, God's word, chapter 41, verse 1. When two full years had passed, since the time he told the cupbearer about the dream, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. And then Pharaoh woke up. I'm not sure why we're given this little tidbit. I mean, it seems like a throwaway piece, but you know, it, it actually reminds us of the reality of this story. We're given little details here, so you know, at some point, the Pharaoh must have told Joseph, "Yeah, I woke up, and then you know, and then I woke up, and then I, I really was having trouble sleeping. I don't know." You didn't need to know that, but I just find it interesting. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and the wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. And then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now, a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. And we told him our dreams and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position and the other man was impaled. That's good news, bad news. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And this is beautiful. I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So, Pharaoh tells Joseph the dreams that he's just had. And then Pharaoh says, I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. And then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are the seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. And then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. This is gonna happen, Pharaoh, nothing you can do about it. And now let Pharaoh, Joseph says, look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Do you think he has anyone in mind? Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. And so Pharaoh, uh, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit Of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. And so Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger, put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in, fine, in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command and people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all Egypt. And Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephanah Paneah. And he gave him Asenah, a daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. Wow. Uh, Joseph has gone from managing an estate as a very young man, probably in his early 20s. Then he went to managing a a large prison system, it sounds like. And now Pharaoh has put him in charge of all of Egypt. Uh, And so he has developed in his management skills, no doubt. And Joseph is only 30 years old. And I would just point out that that doesn't matter, (laughs) not to God. But I'll tell you what does matter. What does matter to God is character. And God's been working on Joseph now for some time in that regard. And so God now decides that Joseph is in a place where he is going to exalt him. In verses 47 to 49, they talk about how Joseph sets up the whole plan to handle this coming famine. And they collect so much food during the seven good years, they they stop measuring it. There's just so much grain they don't have numbers for this anymore right but then the seven years of famine come verses 55 to 57 it says when all of Egypt began to feel the famine the people cried to Pharaoh for food and then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians go to Joseph and do what he tells you when the famine had spread over the whole country Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. Now we're gonna stop there for the moment, amen. But in the time remaining, let's just make some observations about what we've just read. So Joseph wakes up one morning and it's just another day. Uh, same old, same old, separated from his family, forgotten and in prison. And then within the space of apparently hours, it's not really made clear to us, uh, certainly not more than a few days, He's being paraded around Egypt in Pharaoh's chariot, right? He is wearing Pharaoh's signet ring. He's wearing a gold necklace, a sign of his authority and position and power and preeminence and so uh, that's been given him by Pharaoh. He's wearing the clothes that Pharaoh has given him. And he's riding in this very special chariot that immediately announces, announces this is either Pharaoh or somebody just like him, someone of great power. It's a dramatic, dramatic, dramatic change. circumstances. So what do we observe from Joseph's personal journey? Well, first this, I think. And that is that those who humble themselves shall in God's time and in God's way be exalted. And that, friends, is actually just a a promise of scripture. Uh, Jesus said, for those who exalt themselves, they will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's Jesus. Joseph was living proof of the truth of this promise that Jesus made years later. Think for a moment how easy it would have been for Joseph to say, God, what gives? I mean, I have been trying and trying to trust you, to be patient, I'm trying to be faithful, trying to obey you, but look where it has gotten me. 13 years of slavery, 13 years of prison. God, I've waited long enough I prayed hundreds, if not thousands of prayers. It's time I get out of here. It's time I start looking out for me because no one else is, not even you, God. And I'm sure Joseph had moments like that. Why do I think that? Because he's a human being like you and me. And yet, yet, there was something within him. God's spirit, to be sure, but he had an openness to the working of God's spirit in him. And that enabled him to keep trusting, keep obeying, keep serving in the midst of his difficulties. Lord, my circumstances stink. I shouldn't even be here. I've been falsely accused. Now I'm falsely in prison. But where else or to whom else can I turn? It's what we talked about last week. Uh, you know, it's uh, what we found in the Psalms. The psalmist says, why, Lord, why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? I'm sure there were times when that is exactly how Joseph felt. But the psalmist also writes that though I walk in the midst of trouble, you, you, God, preserve my Life And that's what Joseph was experiencing too. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. So Lord, Lord, I'm depending on you, says Joseph. I need you to work in my life and in this situation. I don't have any solutions for it. How do we know Joseph maintained that kind of humble, trusting posture before the Lord? Well, Simple. Because everywhere he went, people saw God at work in his life. We are told over and over and over in this unfolding story of Joseph's life that God was with Joseph and that God blessed Joseph in the performing of his duties. What people did not see in Joseph was bitterness, hatred, anger, arrogance, depression. What they did see in Joseph was God. They actually saw God at work. It's remarkable for a man his age. It's remarkable considering how long this all went on. 13 years. Now, why so long? Answer, we don't know. We don't know. Here's what we do know. What we do know is that these 13 years changed Joseph into a different human being. They made him into a different person. He went from being an arrogant, spoiled, self-centered 17-year-old who pranced around in a coat of many colors, uh, sharing his dreams of dominance with everyone, telling on his brother's bad behavior, oblivious to their jealousy and their hurt in this highly dysfunctional family. He went from that to being a guy who now knew How to listen, how to care, how to trust God in the midst of difficulty, how to deal with massive amounts of personal heartache and disappointment, all while humbly helping other people in prison. That's what's happened. All to say God knew exactly what he was doing in Joseph's life. Thirteen years were exactly the right amount of time for Joseph to become who God wanted Joseph to become. Do you see that? Nod your heads if you do. Okay. And now that Joseph had developed the, the right character... It's also not coincidental that all during these 13 years, he's also been developing certain competencies, skills, and abilities. He is one heck of a manager, right? Managing a large estate, managing a prison system. Everywhere he goes, wow, let him do it. You know, put him in charge. And God has been developing that as well. And so now God is going to exalt him. you know, It's not Jacob, his father, giving him a coat. It's not Potiphar. It's not the Pharaoh. Now, in Joseph's case, his exaltation is being uh, accomplished by God himself. And this exaltation that God is going to bring about in Joseph's life uh, involves a position of authority, a place of prominence in the society of Egypt, a place at the very, very top. So we need to ask this question. When God exalts the humble... Does He always give authority and responsibility and positions of prominence? Is that how God works? Well, the answer is no. Of course not. Not in this life. In fact, we need to understand that things like financial or material success, workplace prominence, you know, being in charge, being at the top, career advancement these things are not God's greatest gift. To mankind, they are not. We want them to be. Our flesh thinks that they are. We want exaltation always to be tied to external blessing, right? Like new or bigger homes or better cars or more power, more prestige, more prominence at work or in the community. But friends, we have to understand, and here we have to separate ourselves from Joseph somewhat in understanding God's exaltation, because God operates on a very, very different value system than we do. In fact, to be honest about it, positions of responsibility and authority and prominence only bring greater judgment and accountability before God. That comes with those positions. Jesus said, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. Now, in reality, um, God places much more value on character and on faith and on wisdom than on worldly or material success. Let me say that again. In reality, God places much more value on character, on faith, and on wisdom than on worldly or material success. Uh, So strength of character and steadfast faith and godly wisdom, these are the greater prizes to be had when God is exalting you. Much better prizes than power, prestige, or position. The writer of Proverbs said this, he said, get wisdom, get wisdom, though it costs you, cost all you have, get understanding. So if it costs everything you've got, if it costs you power, position, privilege, that would be worth it to get wisdom. The writer of Proverbs says, wisdom is more precious than rubies. It's more precious than gold necklaces. It's more precious than signet rings. It's more precious than linen clothing given to you by a Pharaoh. And nothing you desire can compare with her, with wisdom. This is how important wisdom is. Wisdom is the ability to live life and make decision in ways that honor and glorify God. And so God often uses our circumstances to humble us and to make us more wise. That's what he's up to. The psalmist says this. I, I love this. This is quite revealing. It's also quite alarming for being honest. The psalmist says, before I was afflicted, affliction is anything he didn't like. It was any hardship, any difficulty, uh, any injustice that came his way. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I obey your word. Affliction accomplished something in this psalmist, the writer of this psalm's life. Uh, it, it, just a few verses later, we read this. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Do you see? There's purpose in affliction. There's actually exaltation in humiliation. Humiliation. Uh, God was afflicting Joseph so that he would learn God's decrees and learn to obey them. That was God actually exalting Joseph all along the way in preparation for the exaltation that would come. This was happening long before Pharaoh ever even steps into the picture. And we see that Joseph came to understand this. Again, Joseph must have been so tempted, I think, to say to Pharaoh when he gets called up and out of prison, he gets cleaned up and washed up and shaved up and he's brought before the Pharaoh. uh, I'm sure he was tempted to say, yes, your majesty, I'm your guy, I can interpret your dreams, I'm the dream interpreter right here, I'm your man. And he could have tried to step into the spotlight. This is his moment, this is his opportunity to get up and out of this place. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he directs the spotlight right where it belongs, and that is upon God. Pharaoh says to him, I hear you can interpret dreams. Oh, what a tee up for that. You know, that's fantastic. But Joseph answers truthfully, I cannot do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Joseph takes the humble and truthful path and points Pharaoh directly to God. I mean, he could have said, oh, yeah, I'm your guy again. Yep. And if that cupbearer of yours hadn't forgotten me for two years, I could have been here this whole time helping you out. But he doesn't grumble or complain or argue. The apostle Peter, who wrote to the church at Philippi, said this. He said, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. That was the generation then, a warped and crooked generation. Guess what? We have the same generation. We we too live in that warped and crooked generation. We're part of that generation. But he says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Do you see? That's exactly what Joseph is doing. He's in, this, he's in this crooked and this warped generation. There are all these wise men around him. They can't do what the Pharaoh wants them to do. Enter Joseph. Joseph's putting the spotlight on God. And by God's grace and by God's power, he's going to interpret a dream. And what is happening here, he is shining like, star, like a star in the sky as he represents God. I... It's just so easy and ironic, I think. You know, in our day, uh, and I find this uh, to be active in me. When things go bad, you know, I want to know why. Why this, God? Why now? What's what's this difficulty stuff about? I don't deserve this. Enough is enough. (laughs) And when things are going really well, I'm kind of proud of myself. You know, yeah, of course things are going well. Look how smart I am. Look how clever I am. Look how good I am. You know, I've worked hard. I've earned this. You know, in, in other words, I find in me this warped, warped principle that I want, to, I want to blame God for the bad stuff. Why is this happening, God? And when the good stuff happens, I want credit for it. Do you find that at work in somebody you know? You know, James, the brother of Jesus, reminds us this of this. He says, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He's the same yesterday, today, and will be the same tomorrow. And every good and perfect gift is from above. Jesus himself said to his disciples one time, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You think he meant that? Have you ever really thought that through? (laughs) Because I think what that probably means, the implication of what Jesus is saying, the implication of what James is saying is that every good idea, every good deed, every gift, every good word that comes out of your mouth, everything good, it's all from above and is a gift to us from God. You see, God is the giver of character. God's giving Joseph a different character through a 13-year process. God is the giver of wisdom. God is the giver of faith, the giver of salvation. God is the giver of whatever skills and talents you have. God is the giver of spiritual gifts, especially given to you to serve others in the body. God is the giver of all of our resources. God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Joseph had been learning the truth of this now for 13 years. So much so that when Pharaoh elevates him, he's given a wife and... With his wife, he has two boys. And uh, we are told the names of his boys. This is quite instructive, actually. Tells us what's going on in the heart of Joseph. This is what we read in verse 51. It says, Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, this is what the name means. It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. What that means is God has gotten me through this. God has helped me overcome this. I'm no longer now just pining about what I don't have. No, God has made me forget. And my father, he also says that the second son, he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. You see, it is because God has made me. God has made me forget the difficulties, get through the difficulties, get beyond the difficulties, and God has made me fruitful. Manasseh and Ephraim. And that ought to be the theme song of every Jesus follower's life. This is why we are on this planet to give God glory in whatever our circumstances and to declare for everyone to hear God has made me forget. He's made me forget this hardship. He's made me forget this difficulty. He's made me forget this injustice. He's made me forget this struggle. He has enabled me to get through it and overcome it with him right alongside me. God has made me fruitful in spite of the difficulties. God has made me strong. God has made me wise. God has enabled me to live an enduring life, a trusting life, a caring life, a rich, fulfilled life. Life in the midst of it all. And this is what Joseph has been learning. He tells us that in the names of his sons. Now, one last final observation tightly connected to this. And that is this. In both humiliation and exaltation, God is fully at work to accomplish his purpose. For 13 years, in spite of what Joseph's circumstances might indicate, God has not been absent. God has not been silent. God has not been distant. He has not lost control of the situation. God is not dumbfounded about what to do or how to help Joseph. In fact, God was active in Joseph through his circumstances. God produced wisdom. God produced faith. As we have seen, God produced character in Joseph through these circumstances. It's interesting to me that not Joseph, not Jacob, his father, not the Pharaoh, not Potiphar or Potiphar's wife, not the jailer, not the cupbearer, not even you and me, had we been there observing the life of Joseph, would have had a clue of what God was up to. Not a clue. To all concerned, it just looked like a young Hebrew boy was getting a really bad deal. But look at Genesis 42, Two more verses, verse 1 and 2. It says, when Jacob, this is Joseph's dad, learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? This is family communication right here in this family. This is family. What's wrong with you morons? You know, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's that's the way it hits me. But anyway. He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. The situation there in the promised land where Jacob is with his other sons and wives and servants has become dire. They're going to die if they don't get some food. And so you see, here is God. God is working his plan and the plan is much bigger than Joseph. It's much bigger than Potiphar's, much, much bigger than Pharaoh or anybody ever imagined. God was going to protect and provide for his people through Egypt's abundance during this famine. That's what God is up to. So the the bigger context here is that the evil one, Satan himself, is trying to wipe God's people off the face of the earth. Because you see, if Jacob's family dies, then so do all of the covenant promises. They die with them. And there will be no prophet, priest, or king. There will be no Messiah or suffering servant or savior. But God is working way, way out in front of the evil one. God is putting his perfect plan into play. And nobody sees this. Nobody has any idea what he's doing. But decades earlier, God is at work in an arrogant, self-centered Hebrew boy, about 17 years old. And he is going uh, on a little trip down to Egypt to learn to trust God in difficult times through betrayal and imprisonment and abandonment. And God changes Joseph's character and gives Joseph certain competencies. And then God exalts Joseph to a place where Joseph will be able to humbly receive back And safeguard the very family who betrayed him. That's called redemption. That's restoration. That gives me goosebumps. That's who our God is. He's always about restoration and redemption and affecting change in us, things we can't even conceive of. And he's knit all of this fabric together to create the tapestry he wants to create. This is an amazing God, friends. Absolutely amazing. And here's the deal. God is just the same today as he was then. God has a plan at work in your life and mine. You may not have a clue what it is, but know this. You are either working with him or you are working against him. You're either being like Joseph, learning humility, learning to trust, learning to obey, believing that God is at work in your life, or you're not. And God wants for us more than anything to become men and women of faith and trust. Our lives are all about trusting him. You want to know what the meaning of your life is? It's about growing in trusting and in love with God. That's what it is about. Will I trust him for my job? Will I trust him for my spouse? Will I trust him to help me love my spouse when my spouse doesn't deserve to be loved? Will I trust him to help me parent? Will I trust him to help me through this difficult, challenging, confusing, overwhelming time? Will I trust him to make my life have meaning so that I affect others for his glory? Will I trust him and his word over my own foolishness through the midst of the things that tempt me? Gee, that's what we're seeing Joseph learn to do on his 13 year journey. And he's doing it ever so imperfectly. <laughs> and that, friends, is what Jesus did for you and me perfectly. Understand? He trusted his heavenly Father, he obeyed him all the way to the cross and the grave. This, this is paradox. He walked humbly, but he's God. He withstood every temptation. He endured the wrath of the Father that we deserved. He took that wrath upon himself so that we would not have to. And then the Father exalted him and brought him back from the dead. And that is how God made a people for himself. Not by coming first as a judging conqueror but by coming as a humble servant not by killing his enemies but by dying for them and that gives me goosebumps too you see in joseph and far more profoundly and perfectly in jesus We see that those who humble themselves shall in God's time and in God's way be exalted. Jesus is the embodiment of paradox. Do you see that? We see and learn in Jesus and and to a much lesser degree in Joseph, we see and learn that in both humiliation and exaltation, God is at work to accomplish his purpose in us and through us. Amen? Pray with me. Father, thank you for being who you are. Thank you for sending your son who humbled himself and became a servant, even a servant unto death. Thank you that we can have life because of Jesus' death. Thank you that you brought Jesus back from the grave and that that same resurrection life is a gift that you are going to give to your children who follow, who trust, who depend, who hold on to you. And God, in whatever our circumstances, if we're in a place where we're feeling exalted, great, thank you for that, Father but let us shine the spotlight on you. If we're in a place of humiliation, a place of being crushed and we don't understand it, we can't figure it out. We don't know how to get out of it or fix it. God, let us know that you are there with us and you are even working to change us and to teach us trust, develop our character, to make us wise. Father, we we thank you for being with us and we pray all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.